Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of this podcast and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is solving the biotech industry's talent crisis by organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. You can check us out at Clora.com. I'm excited to welcome Gary Lee, CSO at Lyle Immunopharma. Thanks so much for joining us today, Gary. Thanks for having me. Great. So Gary, to set the stage for the conversation, walk us through the arc of your career and what got you to where you are today. Sure. And believe it or not, I was actually a chemical engineer by training through school. Did my undergrad at Caltech. And then when I was deciding on where to go for graduate school, I decided to stay within the state of California and I attended University of California, Berkeley. And like many of your listeners who might have gone through graduate school, it was a big moment when you decide on what area of research you want to participate. And at the time, I was dazzled by a presentation from my advisor, David Schaefer, who introduced me to the world of gene therapy and cell therapy. As a chemical engineer, that wasn't an area that honestly was my initial focus, but really just the idea of harnessing what we know from the gene delivery and virus, viral vectors on how to potentially really cure disease with gene and cell therapy was really attracted by dear to me, and I was really hooked. And so that was more than 20 years ago, and I've been in the field of gene therapy ever since. After I did my PhD at Berkeley, I spent most of my career at a company called Sangamo Therapeutics. Back in the early aughts, the concept of genome editing didn't quite exist yet. The technology wasn't quite mature at the time. It was really an interesting time of my career where I get to really take a front row seat and work with a bunch of really talented scientists to see the few of gene editing growth from non-existence to where it is today. And so I spent 13 years there working as a scientist when initially helping out in every project where I could be useful, help transition a number of programs from preclinical to the clinical stage while at the company, working on genome-edited cell therapy in T-cells as well as hemopoietic stem cells. Really was a tremendous experience for me to learn from soup to nuts how to develop early clinical concepts to translating it to a IND program. So much of what I am today, I learned from that experience. And as the world feels like gene editing is still a brand new technology, I've been working on it for more than 10 years. So after 13 years or so, I transitioned to a company called Centibio, really attracted to the idea of synthetic biology, how we glue different parts of different proteins together to make something new and novel and spend more than three years at Tipa as a CSO, working with the company again, have the fortune to work with a really group of talented scientists and develop a few novel synthetic chimeric antigen receptors. And about a year ago, really attracted to the idea of what Lyle have been pursuing and working on. And I think you can probably hear from more than 15 years of my career in the biotech, really focusing on learning about and developing novel technologies. The focus at Lyle is sort of on the other side. We're trying to understand 
the T-cell biology and learning from clinical experience on what are the fundamental biological reasons that T-cells don't work well in the solid tumor setting. And so it's really a shift of focus for me from really just building technology and see where there's nail for the hammer to hit, but now focusing on where the nail should go and the idea of shifting my focus from technology building to learning from clinical experience and really the biological reasons for why certain drug works and don't. It's a great transition for me and I've had a wonderful year plus so far at Lyle. Great. And Gary, you've been in the cell therapy space for some time, as you mentioned. Talk to us about how during your career that space has evolved. It isn't that long ago that the whole world doesn't really even know that there's so many different types of T-cells. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we think there are CD4s and CD8s. That's all we know. And I think when we first discovered regulatory T-cells, they were called T-suppressor cells. We don't even quite exactly know what they were. And so it took a long time for the field to develop technologies to really isolate the T-cells and also figure out a way to expand and culture them and keep them alive outside the body. And I think all those technologies sort of come together and mature in the late 90s. At the same time, I think the first concept of a chimeric engine receptor was really pioneered by Margot Roberts and Mitch Feiner while they were at a company called Cell Genesis at the time, really building the first concept of a chimeric energy receptor that combined a domain that can recognize antigen, like something you can find on a cancer cells, with the Zeta domain. And funny story, the Zeta domain is actually discovered by Lyle's first CEO, Lausner, while he was at DNCI. So I think a lot of these technologies didn't come from thin air. It was been developed pioneer for many, many years. Now, the first generation of CAR T cells didn't work quite well for many reasons. A couple of them were that they didn't have what we call a co-stimulatory domain included in the beginning. And so the discovery of the co-stimulatory domain was a critical aspect to make the CAR molecule much more functional and potent. And I think around that same time in the early 2010s, the discovery that we can use lymphodepletion as a method to precondition the patient prior to treatment really is what elevated the CAR-T space in the setting of liquid tumor. As many of your listeners may know, the first success was in many B-cell malignancies in ALL as well as non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And the success in the space initially drove significant interest. I would say the few have learned a lot in the last 10 years well on how to mitigate some of the risk in terms of clinical challenges of toxicity for ICANs as well as CRS. But I think the few have learned a ton in the last 10 years to get to where we are today. And being that you've been in this ecosystem for a while, what comes to mind in terms of rate limiters in terms of bringing cell therapies to patients that we should be thinking about to help realize the full potential of the technology? Yeah, excellent question. So I think traditional drug development have many hurdles to go through. First, you have to demonstrate the specificity of your drug. And there's no difference whether you're doing gene and cell therapy, small molecule or biologics. And that will take time. And obviously, evaluation in the clinic will take time as well. So, but that's the general in the field of any drug development. 
specifically for cell therapy. I think while we have seen tremendous success for the application of CAR T cells, as well as CAR T cell in the space of liquid tumor, particularly in B-cell malignancies, as well as more recently multiple myeloma targeting BCMA as the target, we have not had similar success in translating those outcomes into patients with solid tumors. And unfortunately, solid tumor accounts for 90% of all malignancies. And if we really want to broaden the application of CAR T cells to help as many people as we can globally, we need to figure out how to make T cells more potent and active in the setting of a solid tumor. Great. Gary, you know, you hinted at your own evolution of mental model around, you know, not just focusing on the technology, but also thinking about the clinical opportunity ahead. For those folks that are listening that are perhaps early on in their career, talk to us a little bit about that evolution in your own thinking as a CSO of not just focusing on the technology, but long-term opportunities and implications as well. One of the lessons I've learned over the years is that no success in any one particular field or program comes from thin air or in a vacuum. It really takes maturations of various technologies and sciences, understanding as well, that really bubbles up together. And innovations happen when all those different aspects of the problem come with a potential solutions. And hopefully we have enough people working on the problem, have identified really how to merge all these learnings together from the technology side, from the biology side, as well as really from clinical development and all those aspects as well. And that's why these challenges are difficult because without any one particular aspect of the bigger problem being solved, the program cannot move ahead. And so in the space of cell therapy, it's really the same as probably many other fields, even beyond biotech. We need to have adjacent technologies. We need to learn how to be able to introduce the gene into the cells. So any novel advancements in the space of gene delivery vehicles matters a lot. The ability to manipulate the genome with genome editing have given the field new tools. At the same time, I think understanding the T-cell biology, and we'd love to get into the discussions on why we think T-cell doesn't work in the solid tumor setting. And we have a couple really strong hypotheses on why that be the case. And understanding fundamentally biology, how it works, and what are the, some of the key pathways that limit T-cells functions in solid tumor. I think it takes all those understandings to come together, not to mention advancement in manufacturing experience, with the regulatory agencies on how they view the problem and how they interact with the sponsors. All those knowledge is coming together to help us advance the field. Wonderful. So with that prime, let's talk about Lyle Immunopharma and what the company is working on and the particular hypotheses that you're testing now. One of the founding story of Lyle really comes from the fact that our founder, Rick Klausner and Stan Riddell from the Fred Hutch Cancer Institute Having the discussion on looking at the B-cell malignancy data with CD19 CAR, where obviously not just at the time at Juno, where they've seen tremendous patient outcome, even curative in many patients in the setting of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, as well as other B-cell malignancies. But early study of using the same CAR-T technology in solid tumor has been less effective and basically they were looking at a early clinical data that was shared at a Keystone meeting 
where they where Stan used a card that target the cancer antigen ROL1 in patients with both liquid and solid tumors. So it turns out ROL1 is a cancer-specific antigen that is expressed both in liquid cancers, like many B-cell malignancies, as well as many solid tumors, including breast cancers as well as lung cancers. So Stan thought it was a perfect opportunity to try to understand what are the differences when I put the same CAR T-cells in patients with liquid versus solid tumor setting. So in this case, you can imagine the liquid tumor is really almost a positive control, if you will. And indeed, they found that to be true. They treated a couple patients with B-cell malignancy with the role one CAR T-cells. Both patients have responses. And I think more importantly, when they were able to extract the cells back out from the patient's peripheral blood and study those CAR T-cells, they saw that those CAR T-cells were not exhausted. They do not express markers of exhaustion like PD-1, TIM-3, LAC-3, for example. And importantly, when they try to stimulate those T-cells to study them, they work. They get activated, they mix cytokines, suggesting they are fully functional. And the same cannot be said for those same CAR T-cells that were infused into patients with solid tumor. In this case, there was triple negative breast cancer as well as non-small cell lung cancer. In many cases, once the cells were infused in those patients, the cells do not expand post-infusion like they would in a liquid tumor setting. But it did in a couple of patients, and they leveraged those opportunities to also, again, extract the T-cell from the patients. What they saw was that there were significant upregulations of markers of exhaustion. We talked about, again, LAG3, TIM3, for example, were significantly upregulated. And I think importantly, when they try to evaluate the T-cell functions, again, by stimulating those T-cells ex vivo, those T-cells do not make cytokine. And they basically have entered a dysfunctional state that we call T-cell exhaustions. And I think this is a really revealing experiment to identify the different fate that the T-cell experience when they go into a patient with liquid tumor versus solid tumor. And the timing for which this happened happens really quickly. It happens within days post-infusions. And I think this clinical experience really collaborate with a lot of preclinical study as well, where in syngenic model of mice, people have studied how the murine T-cells can become exhausted and dysfunctional. And I think really is the emerging preclinical data as well as these clinical experience that really drive them at how the tumor microenvironment can lead to T-cell exhaustion. And this is one of the two major barriers for making T-cell effective in the solid tumor setting that we're trying to overcome. Great. And where are you now from development perspective and from a team building perspective as well? So Lyo was founded four years ago with the mission to tackle solid tumors with cell therapy. And I think the company believe that we have to make the T-cell functional and it's all about the cell. And so we have been developing technologies to overcome T-cell exhaustion that we just described. I'll be remiss not to talk about the other major barriers to make T-cell successful in solid tumor that we've been trying to tackle as well. And that is really the idea that to try to eliminate cancers in the solid tumor versus liquid tumor, it's probably not a surprise to you that we need the T-cell to have longer durability and more functional for a longer period of time. And one of the big challenges is that we have been making T-cells outside the body for decades now using methods that really has not been significantly improved since the 90s. 
And so these technology, while work, tend to drive cells toward these short-lived effector-like cells, sacrificing these longer-term living stem-like cells. And so the other part of the technology that we believe is going to be critical to make T-cells successful is to be able to manufacture these cells and maintain a population of stem-like T-cells so that they can sustain the T-cell function for a much longer durable period of time once they're going back into the patients. So the idea of endowing T-cell, the ability to resist T-cell exhaustions, as well as generating products that have a stem-like population that can sustain the T-cell function for a longer period of time are really what Lau had been working on since its founding. And I'm happy to report that we now have two clinical trials open evaluating a role one CAR T-cells that incorporate both our technologies to make T-cells resist to exhaustions called C-Junova expression as well as applying our EPR manufacturing technology platform, which is the ability to intentionally generate these stem-like cell populations in our product. And this trial is intended to treat patients with breast cancer as well as lung cancer and is now open in a phase one study. The other program that we're also really excited about that we just have gotten the clearance with the FDA a few months ago is our tumor infiltration lymphocyte, or TIL program. TIL essentially is T-cells that are found within the tumor. And the few have actually successfully used TIL, and in many cases, to provide clinical benefit to patients with melanomas and some other cancers. The one challenge in the field has been that the ability to try to expand these TILs from the patient's tumor. And so we're applying our EPR manufacturing technology again to intentionally retain the stem-like quality of the cells that are found in tumor to hopefully make these T-cells more durable once they infused back in the patients. And so this trial, again, is also open in a phase one study with the initial patient population in melanoma first, with the hope that once we identify the appropriate dose, we can expand to lung cancer as well as colorectal cancer. Wonderful. Very exciting progress in a short period of time for the Lyle team. And I'm sure you guys are hard at work on additional assets as well. I'm curious, you know, given your past experiences, as well as now at Lyle, where you've been part of significant growth from a headcount perspective, how do you think about your role and the role of a CSO, let's say when it's a 20, 30 person company versus a 200 person company? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Raul. I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is that company at different stages, and you can say different sizes as well, that tend to correlate, do have very different needs. And whether it's a private company or public companies, there are different priorities for the company, especially for various executives as well. I think what I've learned from a small company, oftentimes, because they're earlier stage, hence they're smaller, Developing the technology platform, making sure that we're maturing the science and making it sufficiently robust for clinical development is a major focus. I think as the CSO, I'm accustomed to having the opportunity to share, whether it's with academic conferences or with potential investors, on the brilliant science that the team have been generating. And those are always fun time for me to be able to talk about the interesting science that the company is pushing through. I think as the company mature to a IND company or a clinical stage company or a public company, the team and the size of the company tend to grow. 
And there are obviously many different aspects about making sure that the business is running appropriately. The functions gaps within the company tend to be filled at that stage across different aspects from finance to legal to people, clinical and technology aspects of it as well, manufacturing. And so I think learning how to work cross-functionally and understanding the perspective from different groups is important. I think I was fortunate enough early in my career working in a small company that I actually have worn many hats over the years. I get to not only help with some of the early development of the science, but because we were a small company, I was thrust into essentially process development and helping out with the manufacturing aspects as well. So I think seeing how all of that works really helps me appreciate some of my tech ops colleagues and what their priorities and their challenges are. So hopefully we can find early solution for them. So by the time we work with them to do the tech transfer from research to process development, that we don't present with them something that they would have trouble moving forward with. Great, Gary. We'd love to switch topics now and look towards the future a bit. And given you know the context that you set up for us in terms of what's changed or evolved across the cell therapy landscape, I'd love to hear your viewpoint on opportunities that you see for future technologies, leveraging what we now know today. If I take a long-term view on the drug development and pharmaceutical history, right? I think it took a long time to mature to where we are today across many different fronts. But if you see how the few have started with primarily um, chemical drugs or small molecules, really at the founding of pharmaceutical industry, to, I would say, 30, 40 years ago. And now I think we have many different drugs and protein molecules that are creating benefits for patients. I think naturally we have learned more and now have the ability to use gene delivery vectors as well as human cells as a therapeutic. And so the complexity of the drug have continued to increase and that allow us to really deal with and treat more complicated diseases. And cancer certainly is one of the most complex disease. I think as it turns out, almost every cancer has their own unique set of mutations in different individuals is almost the ultimate organ disease, if you will. As we increase the sophistications of the tools that we have going from small holes to small molecules to objects to now cells, we have the opportunity to actually create therapeutics that have better specificity, better safety, and potentially longer efficacy in patients as well, because we're now putting a living drug into patients. I think the opportunity is going to continue to grow, whether we are thinking about now where primarily we take cells outside of patients, hear them, and put them back. I think that created certain types of challenges. Number one, manufacturing individual ones individual drug for each patient is a challenge. But the one thing, if there's anything I know about the human endeavor is that if there's something valuable in society, we'll figure out how to make it. Whether it's through technological improvement, shortening of manufacturing, improvement of efficiencies, or other technologies that others are taking a shot at, for example, making allogeneic T-cells. All those are different paths to try to make 
cell therapy more accessible to a broader set of patients. I think we continue to get better at managing clinical complications with CAR T cells. We've learned in the field on how to at least have opportunity to manage cytokine release syndrome and other challenges. And that would eventually hopefully lead to the ability to treat patients in clinics that are not necessarily major academic standards, for example. I think it does take a village. It's not just one space. It takes different individuals to make innovations across different space, including getting the right people together, which is one of your mission at Clora, to really, I think, get the right individuals together to solve important problems. It may not be a problem that solves everything, but I think we need to solve different pieces of puzzle. And when we solve enough of them, I think significant innovation and improvement can be made. Mm, that's great points, Gary. I'm curious, given that you're an expert in the space, what's the current common misconception about cell therapy? I think as much as because cell therapy deals with a living cells, um, there tends to be this concept that cell therapy is so complex that it cannot be managed, and which I don't think is true. I think we are in the early phase of making cell therapy as a drug. You look at when the first cell therapy was approved is actually only a few years ago. So you can imagine that over the next 10, 20 years, there was going to be continued improvement and automations to make cell therapy manufacturing a lot more streamlined and straightforward. I think the fact that we are now seeing the value that these therapeutics can bring to patients it will drive innovations across all the fronts. So as much as we believe that cell therapy is complex and complicated, which in comparison to some more traditional technology, they may be. But I do think that with where there's a will, we will make it work. I'm sure a plasma TV is a lot more complex than a, than, than a tube TV as well. But mm. manufacturing things at scale as long as there's a right value for society. And I certainly believe having the ability to provide potentially curative treatment to cancer patients is something of value to society. It's a great analog there with the plasma and tube TV. So Gary, before we wrap up, if I could ask you to, to reflect for a minute, and given all of your vast experiences now, if there's one piece of advice you wish you could provide your younger self, what would that be? It's a good question. I think one aspect is, I think, depending on the visual, I'm sometimes can be shy at the beginning. And so I would say my very first industry job when I started after graduate school, I was too nervous to introduce myself to others. And I was sitting at my desk trying to head down, thinking that all I need to do is do a good job, like my assignment and my job. Little did I realized that for me and the project, and the company to be successful, communications is really important. And so I think what I've learned after a few months is that I keep learning the same people at the cafeteria or where we grab coffee, and it become increasingly awkward that I recognize the face, but I don't know the individual. And so I really made a mental note that, you know, I won't make that same mistake again. And so I think subsequent and my subsequent next stops, I deliberately made a purpose, made a point to walk around the building in the first week to introduce myself to as many people as possible. I may seem a bit overzealous and annoying at the time, but I did think that helped build the foundations on how I can really work within the company cross-functionally, even people that are not on my team, people on 
the communication side, legal, people, finance, and they're all critical part of the company for any project to move forward. And so I thought that was, that was a lesson that I learned from my very first stop. And Gary, do you identify generally as an introvert? I've taken the Myers break and I yeah. think, I don't know to what degree that yeah. I am relative yeah, yeah. to another. You know, sometimes introducing yourself seems to be a bit of a scary proposition, especially yeah. for at least a younger version of myself coming out of school. But I think you can learn over the years that, you know what, I think it's okay if you feel like you don't have anything intelligent to say, but it's just about making that bridge to build a relationship with your colleagues. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. And I guess for two introverts to be on a podcast together, this is a relatively safe space. So appreciate you joining and talking about you know your experiences and evolution of just your own thinking, Gary. This was wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.